0: Hello and welcome to the Stand with Eamon Dunphy. Now anyone interested in politics or indeed economics or indeed the well being of this country or Europe or anywhere will be looking at London and seeing one of the most extraordinary political dramas we've ever seen, and that is the Liz Truss Tory government. She has been Prime Minister for a month, ten days of that a month, of course, were Taken out to mourn the passing Queen Elizabeth II, but she has plunged her country and her Chancellor of the Exchequer, Quasi Kwateng. They have plunged their country into the most serious economic crisis since at least 1992, when Britain had to leave the ERM, the Eurozone part of the Eurozone they were in, because of a miscalculation by the then Chancellor. John Major was that prime minister, and remarkably, he survived five years after that debacle. But the people didn't forget, and Tony Blair was the next prime minister. I think the Tory party is probably looking at that scenario and thinking, here we go again. But we're joined now from London by Chris Johns, Chris, former chief economist with the Bank of Ireland, and now a, a respected commentator, and he's watching all of this, as many people are finding it difficult to believe chris I'm, I, I won't speak for you but you must feel what you're watching is something historically extraordinary and kind of mad A kamikaze budget was a phrase used by keir starmer yesterday at leader's questions and it was that kamikaze mini budget that kwasi Kwa-Tang introduced without much in the way of discussion on his first day in office.
1: It's an extraordinary state of affairs, and I don't think, uh, despite all the quite hyperbolic descriptions of it, you mentioned it being mad, kamikaze, extraordinary. I don't think that really captures it. Um, certainly, one of the feelings I have at the moment is, is embarrassment, yes. uh, because we know that we are a laughing stock, not just in financial markets, but around the world. Um, we know that uh, people aren't just laughing at us; they're looking at us in a very worried way because of what it might mean for them. The Americans are very cheesed off with the British right now because of the impact that all of this has had on their own American bond market. Now, the bond market, as you probably know, is is at the heart of the financial problems experienced in the UK at the moment, and that's where that awful word contagion is appearing. Uh, American long-term interest rates, bond yields, have gone up in the last couple of weeks. A bit, not a lot, but just enough to, for the Americans to get very cheesed off because everything, everything as the British are discovering, is so sensitive to these government borrowing costs, these bond yields. It's technical, but its it couldn't be more important. Um, so so if it, it, to tell you how important this is, you have to actually mention this very esoteric, not very interesting thing called the government bond market. People with a memory of the great financial crisis in Ireland will remember how burn the bondholders was a mantra during those years and how for a while bonds became headline news. They really shouldn't. This is about talking about plumbing of the financial system in the way that plumbing of our houses should never be headline news, but it's back in the headlines. But the, the key point about government bond markets is the Irish and the Greeks and the Italians and the Portuguese discovered back in the financial crisis is if you're own bond market, your own government bond market in the UK, it's called a gilt market, doesn't function properly, then nothing else in your financial world functions properly. Every other asset market, your stock market, your housing market, everything gets gummed up if your basic government bond market doesn't work. And that's the risk that they've been taking with the British economy. And that's why I say it's more serious than perhaps even many commentators realize that the risks they are taking with the real economy are that big. They really are, and they have to get it back working soon. Otherwise, they are in real financial and economic and therefore political trouble.
0: Yes. Now, Kwasi Kwarteng announced his mini-budget, as he called it. It was much more than a mini-budget, on a Friday. On the Monday, the Bank of England had to intervene in the bond market. I think they spent $56 shoring up the value of the bonds am i right
1: well we're not quite sure what they've done because in in the early days uh, just the mere announcement the fact that they were standing up ready to buy these government bonds to restore some order um was very reminiscent of the comment during the european financial crisis when mario yes. draghi said he would do whatever he takes words yes. language in financial markets in life are very important when people speak people uh, certain people speak, the markets will listen if you have the credibility behind you. And the Bank of England standing up saying that it was going to buy these bonds had an announcement effect. So they didn't actually have to do very much for the first few days. But then it all got very messy um, in more recent days. And they've had to step in big time. And they have been buying billions. I'm not sure they've done the full 50, 60 billion yet, because I don't know what they've done today. But as of yesterday, they were getting very close. Yes.
0: And the governor of the Bank of England said earlier this week that they would not intervene anymore after Friday. In other words, that's it. This was a challenge to the government, wasn't it? I mean, just to get this right for me and our listeners, what they are trying to do, her government, is have tax cuts. And no spending cuts.
1: That's absolutely right. They they announced the, the. So how are you going to pay? Yeah.
0: For the for the 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 tax cuts yeah. for the wealthy and have no spending cuts. That's mad, isn't it? Even I yeah. understand that. It's very simple
1: arithmetic. Uh, the chancellor stood up and announced the plan that, in fairness, she'd advertised continuously through her election campaign to be leader of the Conservative Party that she was going to cut taxes and increase spending. The thing that she also did, which she said she wouldn't do, was the hundreds of billions, potentially, um, subsidy for energy bills. Yes. And that was well-trailed, but it wasn't what she promised that she would do. So we had big spending increases, the energy subsidy, and big tax cuts, which she had told us that, that she was going to do. And there was nothing, zip nada, about how this was going to be paid for. And normally, and this is where in, in normal circumstances, we have the official uh, Office for Budget Responsibility telling us whether or not the government's plans are fiscally sustainable, whether they add up. That's what that means. Do they add up? And we just didn't know. And the fact that you don't know something is something that really rattles financial markets. And was yes. that as much as anything else. The just, well, you know, where's the money going to come from? Nobody knew. And no, um, caused what happened next, which was that the cost of government borrowing went up through the roof because of all of this uncertainty, this very unnecessary uncertainty that they had created. And they've had to U-turn on a couple of things, key things since then. First of all, they've had to bring the date forward of the budget proper, as he's insisting on calling it. That's now taking place on Halloween, so you can imagine all the headlines that that's generating for the end of this month. And we've had lots of people filling that uncertainty vacuum that was created by that question, that unanswered question: How is this going to be paid for? Another independent think tank called the Institute for Fiscal Studies has basically said very clearly that they have a sixty billion sterling black hole. That if they don't find tax increases or spending cuts of sixty billion, they are in a hole.
0: And yeah, and she, what she has said that. She's going to cut taxes and stick to that, which will give tens of millions. She withdrew one of them, but give tens of millions of money to people who don't really need it, who are already wealthy. But the idea also that she said that people who are on low wages or on social welfare, and sometimes people are on both low wages and social welfare that they won't get tax increases in line with inflation. They won't get relief in line with inflation or they won't get their benefits raised in line with inflation. At the same time as she's saying that to people, particularly people in red wall seats that were formerly Labour and are now Tory, at the same time as giving handouts to the very wealthy, That really is political madness, isn't it?
1: Absolutely. Um, If you take a country like Wales, that I would know very well where I am from originally, and the country of about three to three and a half million people, um, this 45p tax rate thing, which produced the U-turn, they abolished this top rate of tax, which is 45p in the pound in the UK, for anybody that earns more than a lot of money. Um, they, they initially abolished it and now they've reinstated it because it caused such a political furore. People in Wales, for instance, and indeed regions of England and indeed Scotland will look at this with um, bemusement because, first of all, they didn't realise just that there were that many people in the country that earned that kind of money. And do you know, in that three, three and a half million people in Wales, do you know how many people pay that 45p rate of tax? 4,000. No. Wow. Yeah. So it's basically nobody. And I, I'll, yes. I'm going to say, say reveal my prejudices to you. Probably those are, are mostly English expats in Wales. But anyway, um, the, the thing is that this, is, this speaks to how divided the country is. And one of those divides is that the south of England, the southeast of England, London and the southeast of England, speak a different language and in many ways lead different lives to, to many different parts of the UK. And this would have left an awful lot of people cold. It was politically toxic for the Tories Because as you say, the only way that they can square the fiscal arithmetic, that 60 billion hole that has uh, emerged from all of this, is doing things like not increasing welfare benefits um, in line with inflation. So when inflation is running at 10%, as it is in the UK, and you propose to increase benefits by five, that's a real terms cut of 5%. And people will feel that in their pockets. And even the Tories knew. Most of the Tories, not all of them, obviously, but even the Tories knew that that proposal was dead in the water from a red-wall seat point of view. It contributed to the collapse in the Tories' poll rating, which has been extraordinary to see poll after poll now showing them with 20 30% deficit. And some, you know, the, 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 the effect on the Tory party itself of these sorts of mad ideas has been quite extraordinary. And there are so many different ways you could express this. But, uh, but
0: one thing just to put in, Chris... Is the mortgage rates, the mortgage interest rates, that for people with mortgages, and many people have them, so if even if they're fixed, they may be that may run out next year, they're going to go up by a lot. People who have mortgages are going to suffer as a result of this calamity. Really,
1: yeah, it used to be the case, um, both in Britain and Ireland, that everybody had just variable rate mortgages, that your, your mortgage went up and down with whenever the central bank put interest rates up or down. Thankfully, we've moved away from that in, in both countries, actually, Britain and Ireland, that um, we now more typically fix. People uh, in the minority have variable rate mortgages, but most people fix over two, three, four, and five years. And that's quite a sensible thing to do. Um, one of the problems we've got next year in 2023 is that an awful lot of pandemic era fixes are rolling off and people are already looking at those with horror the sort of rates that if they were having to refix today it really is you're getting up to five six percent five six sometimes seven percent depending on the product that's on offer and that's that link that i spoke about earlier on to the government bond market and this is one of those technical things that There's no reason why people should know this that aren't financial market types, but your government borrowing costs just determine everything, including your mortgage rate. The way a building society or a bank prices the mortgage offer that it makes you when you go in and ask for that loan is that it starts with what does it cost the government to borrow money, then they start building in other bits of the little bit of formula that they use but the bedrock of a mortgage rate is that government bond yield it's not very intuitive but it is just reality and if mortgage and if government bond borrowing costs are going up so are your mortgage rates so if the government like in the uk through just being completely bonkers is driving up government borrowing costs that has impacts across the board but in particular on the mortgage market on the housing market To the point now where if these rates do come through over the course of the next year or so the effect on the british housing market the only question that's being asked by analysts and people who um, look at the british housing market is how bad is it going to be is it going to be bad next year or is it going to be catastrophic that's the only way people are looking at the british property market right now and that extends to commercial property as well it's not just your house prices We've seen forecasts only today that commercial property in the UK will fall 20% next year.
0: So they are alienating everybody. I mean, the the low paid, people on benefits, people with mortgages, people with small businesses, high interest rates are a killer. I mean, effectively, they're making enemies everywhere. And there is talk this morning, she went to, to see the 1922 committee last night, that is the committee of Tory backbenchers, that incidentally they are the people who decide whether or not she keeps her job, and we'll come to that in a moment. But she got a very frosty reception, and the latest opinion poll out this morning gives Labour a 27-point lead and gives her a minus 50, minus 50, which is lower than Jeremy Corbyn ever was and much lower than Boris Johnson was, even at his lowest ebb. The question now is, can this Prime Minister survive, Chris? And we must remember, Boris Johnson was knifed, Theresa May was knifed, and they just seem to be unable to appoint as Prime Minister somebody who is capable. Absolutely. She she doesn't look capable, Chris. No, no, she clearly clearly is utterly and
1: and completely out of her depth. Uh, You talked about visiting the 1922 committee yesterday. There are some wonderful clips on social media of her audience with uh, King Charles. I um, saw
0: that. In in which
1: she curtsies awkwardly and shakes hands, greets him in a a very normal fashion, and he turns to escort her to the place where they're going to meet. And he's laughing. He's chuckling to himself. And he says, Oh, dear, oh, dear. Yeah. <laughs> and you know exactly what he means by that. And uh, it's, it really says it all. The Conservative Party is completely ungovernable. And one of the things that's going on at the moment is, that, is the speculation around her replacement. The fact that we can be talking about that a mere few weeks after she took uh, office is extraordinary. Um, the problem, of course, is that um, there, is no, there is, for example, no unity candidate. The backbench MPs are saying things like, well, we can't have another election. We can't have another contested election. The only way we can replace her is with a coronation, which was the way that Theresa May became prime minister. You might remember yes. uh, that there was ultimately no, no opposition to her election. Um, and where is the unity candidate? Uh, they don't like Sunak the MPs because of what they perceive he did to Johnson because there's lots of buyer's remorse going on now because much as it pains me to say this trust is much worse than Johnson it's an extraordinary state of affairs so we're seeing uh suggestions that Penny Mordaunt could be that unifying candidate but I think that the conservative party in its current form is utterly ungovernable um and it's it's a bit like uh British politics are very now like to me they seem like Italian-style politics, is that we're just going to lurch from one crisis, from one problem, uh, from one election, if you like, to another, be they general elections or, or um, party elections. Uh, there, is no, there is no unity candidate for an ununifiable party. The political editor of the Financial Times, a guy called Stephen Bush, put it very well this morning when he said that he thinks that it's 90% certain she won't last until the next election. Then you go through the mechanics of how they would actually replace her. Technically, she's safe for a year under the existing rules, but we know that they have the ability to change the rules overnight if they want to. Um, so he puts it at 50-50 that she'll last a year. Um, right. I think that's generous. I don't, oh, think, I. I don't think that she will. Um, I, I, struggle, <clears throat> I struggle to see her lasting until Christmas, to be honest, on on the, current, uh, on the current state of affairs.
0: Now, Kwasi Kwatang, the her new chancellor of Exchequer. this man who speaks six languages and is supposed to have a brilliant mind, he really is the guy who, first of all, on his first day, they sacked the secretary of that department, the civil servant who had been in charge of that department, which is quite an extraordinary thing to do is 't it
1: absolutely a chap called Tom scholar very very yeah. well respected highly regarded civil servant and but was seen by truss and quatain because this was a this is a double act you must remember that yes I do and that that, that she railed against Treasury orthodoxy as she yes. told it during her campaign and this was their way of signaling that the days of Treasury orthodoxy are over so th- That was one of the things that contributed to the market malaise that we're currently living through at the moment, is that anybody that speaks any sense to these people gets fired.
0: Now, I want to talk to you about contagion, Chris, because the Americans now are looking worried about the UK, as indeed are other countries and the EU and ourselves, because contagion is an issue here. But before I go to contagion, You know how serious we are about language on this podcast and bad language. And on Channel 4 last night, the international editor of the Financial Times, Gillian Tett, was on speaking from America about American reaction to this new show in town, the quasi quatang Liz Truss show. And she used the word, which I leave you to say, because it sounds better... It sounds better coming from yes uh, someone with my accent in London, with your accent. Yeah, Jo Intet is,
1: is she's actually an anthropologist, a very um, able, highly qualified anthropologist by training. But she's a managing editor of the Financial Times, very very serious senior journalist. Was asked about Jacob Rees Mogg's uh, doing the media rounds yesterday morning. He was on television and the yes. flagship BBC Radio Four Today program uh, yesterday morning in which he said various things, but mostly all about trying to say that the uh, market chaos, all of that bond market stuff that I've been banging on about had nothing to do with quasi Kwarteng or Liz Truss. It had everything to do with international developments. To the point, and this is where it actually, and I think this is worth dwelling on just for a second, because this is where it gets quite sinister in what these people are up to, is that on that BBC Radio 4 Today programme, when the interviewer Michelle Hussein said to Jacob Rees-Mogg that there was a connection between financial market chaos and Quasi Koateng's mini budget, Jacob Rees-Mogg replied by saying that the interviewer was violating the BBC's charter for making that <laughs> suggestion. Yes. and that yeah. uh, it was an absolute disgrace that the question could even be asked. Now, when all of this was put later that day to Gillian Tett on, on, on Channel Four News, on Channel Four News. She said, well, um, that's bollocks, <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. which, uh, you know, I think just puts it perfectly. And, and we, we are now being laughed at. We're laughing at ourselves. And, we, you know, the, Gillian Tett, more seriously, was speaking f- to this interviewer from Washington, D.C., where the annual meetings of the IMF are taking place. Yes. And you mentioned in your preamble there, contagion. And one of the things that Gillian Tett will be hearing an awful lot is Well, what are you guys doing over there in London? Because you're messing with our markets. We learned during the financial crisis, again, that everything is connected to everything else in the world economy. And what can seem as a little isolated incident over there can quickly turn into a major forest fire. And that's what happened. That's what happened back in 2007 and 2008. Um, We had very little small blow-ups in the financial system um, in strange places, then all of a sudden, we were all engulfed. And they're worried now that this British thing could cause a big problem. Because the uh, the way in which government bond markets behave in the UK does affect directly, it's already pushed up American Treasury yields a little bit. And that has massive consequences for the US financial system, for the US economy, and therefore for the world economy. So in a way, your, your mortgage rates in Ireland are already slightly higher than they otherwise would have been because of these antics in London. That's how serious this is.
0: Right. Now, I can remember living in the UK, Chris, when Dennis Healy was Chancellor of the Exchequer, an enormously able man, Dennis Healy. However, he was presiding over uh, nothing as comic as this. I mean, he was a serious guy, but they were in trouble, and the... Big threat and humiliation was if the IMF was called in. There is talk now that perhaps the International Monetary Fund, the IMF, might be called into the UK. Or is there? And that would be end of government, would it?
1: Well, yeah. I think that we're, we're witnessing the end of government in in one shape or yes. form. The only, the, I think, we know something's about to happen, but we're not quite sure when. And that's the situation with this tory government. Yes. Now calling in the IMF is normally when you simply cannot finance the state that you are, you have a massive balance of payments deficit for example that you simply uh, nobody out there the foreigners will not finance. And well, where are they
0: going to get the 60 billion well, for example? She's cutting taxes so she can't get it that way. Where are they going to get the 60 billion in cuts they need to make? What well, she's
1: that what she will have to do is she will have to go back. They'll have, basically have to cancel the mini budget. That's what she's going to have to do in order in order to make sure that this talk of calling the in the IMF is nipped in the bud. Because that's what she has to do now is she has to cancel the uh, uh, what they were going to do was was raise corporate. What Sunak was going to do was raise corporation tax to raise billions. They've cancelled that rising corporation tax they're going to have to reinstate it they're going to have to reinstate in my opinion the rise in national insurance they're going to have to cancel Quateng's mini budget and there's even a question in my mind about whether they can afford the energy price subsidy that they announced yes um, and that's how serious this is but this is what they're going to have to do if they don't have if they if they are to avoid serious financing problems we're not there yet. But these serious financing problems ultimately end up with you having to do something drastic like call in the IMF. I think events will come to pass that they won't end up doing that because they will have to do these kinds of U-turns. But of course, if they do do this U-turn that I'm describing to you there, then effectively she's she's political and economic toast because everything that she promised is no longer possible. And she's essentially presiding over a Boris Johnson-style policy agenda, which is do nothing very much apart from raise a few taxes, completely contrary to what she said she was going to do. And so she becomes completely politically emasculated.
0: Mel Stride MP, Tory MP, a moderate, I would say, he was a supporter of Rishi Sunak in the Conservative Party leadership election. He's the chair of the Treasury Select Committee, which is a very powerful position to be in. He is deeply skeptical of what has happened and almost openly contemptuous, he said they'll have to stop. And as you've just pointed out, they'll have to withdraw this so, so-called mini-budget. And there was a, a not-very-well-disguised hint that Quasi Quatang should lose his job. That's all over the place in England now.
1: Yeah, fans of list trust and there are one or two left, not three or four, are saying the only way she can possibly last another year or two is if she gets rid of Quasi Kwa That remains to be seen. I think they're joined at the hip politically, so right. I, I think that's problematic. It's not as obvious to me. Um, the, 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 the mood in, in Westminster is extraordinary. I, I saw something yesterday at Parliamentary uh, Prime Minister's Question Time that I'd never seen before. Uh, first of all, she first of all put in a dreadful performance, as she often does in these situations. Yeah, I saw
0: that. I saw it. Yeah, but I saw
1: when she was leaving the chamber, not pe- many people picked up on this. Several opposition MPs were chanting more, more encore, <laughs> encore. They were actually wanting her to come back and do it all over again because it was so bad, because her yes. performance is so poor. Because when she's asked continuously, the questions you're asking me is where does she find the 60 billion from? She, and any other economical financial question that she is asked, she, do, she sounds very uneasy. She doesn't sound as if she knows what she's talking about. She doesn't sound at all confident. And what she does say is, well, but I've cut people's energy bills. Why are you yeah. asking me this question? It's a sort of single transferable answer, which has yes. become you know, beyond a joke now. Yes. And, and so the confidence in her ability to even understand the problems that she faces is at an all-time low, as those numbers that you quoted suggested. Sam Coates of Sky News asked the question on live TV last night, where are MPs' heads in all of this? Where are the Tory party's heads? Where are they? And he said, well, the, it, their heads are in their hands. Right. Th- that's, how, that's, um. how the, uh, that's how bad they feel at the moment. And the number 10,000 is doing the rounds in Westminster because Tory MPs are saying to each other, At the moment, if we have an election now or at anything like these opinion poll ratings, if you don't have a majority of 10,000, you're gone. You're toast.
0: That would actually eliminate Boris Johnson, who I believe has a majority of 9,500.
1: A lot of very prominent MPs would lose their seats.
0: Okay, Chris, we're very grateful to you um, indeed for joining us today. That's Chris Johns. And we're grateful to Chris. We're grateful to all of you for listening. That's all we have time for now. We'll talk to you soon.
1: A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri term medical plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com.